Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Most peculiar stories that you probably have heard. It is a miracle that just doesn't make sense. And even in my own like studies of it, there's even theologians that try to discredit the miracle that happened and try to give other examples of, of why this miracle could have been in the hands of other people or someone else could have done it and it might not have been exactly God that did it. And the more I thought about it, I thought about bringing that part up because it really made sense. I just was like, no, it just, it discredits the miraculous power of God. That's what draws us to God. That's what drew so many people to Jesus was his miracles, the signs and wonders. And then when they got close enough to him, they began to experience his presence and his love and his compassion and his generosity and his kindness. But I got me thinking about, because it's a topic of food, of, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever had that friend growing up. We've all had this friend. There were, I was even this friend sometimes, where you would go get food, and um, especially if you're dating, you know, like, if you're a guy, your girlfriend isn't going to eat all of the food. So you kind of like think through it, like, okay, what is she going to get? All right. Then, and if you're on a budget, you're like really thinking about it. And I, we, I used to have this friend that was a total freeloader, and it was so frustrating because he knew what he was doing. And we would order, and he's like, no, I'm good. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. Honestly, I'm not hungry. And then we would go eat, and he'd be like, hey, do you, you, want, you want the rest of those fries? And I'm like, yeah, man, you can have some fries. And it happened so many times to where I just had to call him out, like, hey, why don't you get your own food if you're hungry? And yesterday, uh, Friday, actually, you know, myself and um, Thomas and Eric, we, we went to this conference in, in Los Angeles. And when you're in a conference, there is a lot of information. It's like this information overload. If you were here at the conference that we put on, right, it's just a lot, and it's really good stuff, but then some, like, what happens out of nowhere is your stomach is louder than your mind, and you can, like, hear the growl of your stomach, and you get so hungry, and then you just clock out whatever the person's saying, even if it's phenomenal, and then this was happening to me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so hungry, and if you know, I'm like, I'm trying to, quote, bulk, right? I'm in the, quote, bulking season, so I'm just eating whatever I want and not feeling judged, even though people will still judge me. I'm just like, I don't care. I'll just eat it. Let me have it. And so I'm on a budget, though, and, you know, Kelly and I, like, we're going to really conquer this budget thing. I'm so tired of just spending too much, and then you look at the budget, and you're like, it's all on food. Like, but we buy food for the house. Why are we still eating so much food outside? And so anyway, I have this budget, and I'm like, okay, I can spend X amount of dollars per day. And so we go outside, and there's these, like, trucks, right, the food trucks. And, you know, Eric and Thomas wanted, like, the Mexican food, and I'm like, what's going to fill me up the most? The pizza. So I went to the pizza space, and it was a small little pizza, though. I'm like, this is going to fill me up. I'm going to get full from this because it's going to be a long day, and I want to eat well, well to where I get full. And so I wait in line, and I get the pizza. And, you know, Thomas and Eric already have their food, and Thomas has this nice, big, like, carne asada burrito. And I'm like, dang, how much was that, man? And he was like, oh, it was this man. I was like, wow, that was cheaper than mine. 
well, I hope this fills me up, right? So I'm like loving my like pizza, pepperoni pizza, right? And I'm like eating all the pieces and I'm like still full hungry and I'm on the last bite. I'm like, dang, I like miscalculated this. And I'm telling the guys that. And, and Eric is like getting full though. I'm like, he's like, Sam, you can have some of my rice and beans and steak. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to be that guy. And he's like, no, bro, like have some of my food, please. You can have it. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. And he's like, please. And I'm like, okay, don't tempt me with a good time because I'm so hungry. And I finished his food. Um, and then I was really full. You know when you get like really full, you're like, oh, you can like take a nap after? It had filled me up to where I had more than enough. That's all I needed, right? And I didn't need any more because if I had more, then that would have been like considered sin, right? Gluttonous at that point. I just would have just been eating to eat. And I know some of us, all of us really do that at times. I don't know about you, but I do where you're just like, you're not even hungry anymore. You just keep eating. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So it got me thinking that with God, there are so many times that we want to sort of freeload on other people's faith. Where it's like, hey, let me have some of that, and I'm kind of empty on this end. Can you tell me something inspiring that can get me through my day? Because I'm, I'm empty, and I'm, I'm not quite full yet. And then I was thinking about how all of the times in my life, I actually needed that, though. Like, I needed someone when I was really at my low to say, Sam, you're going to make it. This is possible. Because with God, all things are possible. If it seems impossible, you're in good company. Because that's how God works. And I remember when Kelly and I were about, like, year two into this church plant, I was driving back and forth to, from Chino to Orange County. And I would listen to every audio book you could think of, every leadership talk you could think of. I would listen to the audio Bible on the way home. Like, I was just trying to get filled, like, drenched in anything that I could learn about leadership and community and church and what, how, how to do this. And there was this one talk that just really changed the way that I thought. And it was something as, like, God doesn't qualify the called. He qualifies. He, he, the people that are not qualified, he calls them. So if, you're, if you feel qualified, you're, you're not called. He'll often call the unqualified. Because when he pulls you in, you start to realize, like, oh, my gosh, I do not know what I'm doing. I need God so much. And I don't just need a, I need more than enough, God, because it's hard to get through. And have you ever had those moments in your life? We're like, gosh, I just need, I need to have more than enough right now. I need to have way, I need to be drenched in your love or drenched in your comfort or drenched in your peace. Like, I, I can't, where is it, God? And then someone comes in your life that's a friend and reminds you, no, God is with you. No, keep pushing. Stop allowing your mind to limit you. Stop listening to the lies. And there's this story in the scripture that just, this miraculous story, and I want to show you something a little bit different in this passage of scripture, and maybe for the first time this is, the, the very first time you'll read this passage of scripture, but I want to give a different angle, but if you have your Bibles, 
Join with me to John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. The scripture reads, Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And when he says some time after this, remember the Pharisees were yelling at him because he had just healed this man that was lame. He couldn't walk for 38 years. And the word began to spread that Jesus was a healer, that Jesus would heal people. Those that couldn't see could see. Those that couldn't walk would walk. There were signs and wonders taking place wherever Jesus would go. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Take note of that if you're write notes or just underline that because that's really a crucial piece of this story. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Well, Philip grew up in this town, by the way. So Jesus goes to the guy that knows the town. Where do we buy food? Because these people are hungry. He asked this only to test him, which is very funny of Jesus, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I'm like, I don't want that to be me as one of the disciples, because we'll read that Philip had a very unhealthy, fixed mindset. Philip answered, Jesus, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's impossible. There's too many people here. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So in other words, Philip was like, it's not possible. We shouldn't even try. But Andrew's like, we can make this happen. And remember, when you're reading the scripture, it's a story. So when we read verse 8 to verse 9, something had to happen. Another of his disciples, Andrew, spoke up. Here is a boy. So it's not just like randomly they're talking. It's like the boy magically appears. That's not life. Andrew had to go and search for somebody. No, okay. Philip's saying it's not possible. No, no, no. I've seen what Jesus can do. I've witnessed his miracles. I've witnessed his good. We got to figure this out. And he goes and finds a boy. Jesus, here's a boy. This is all we got. What are we going to do with it? Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men. Notice how it says men. So in this time, when you would count um, heads in a crowd, you would count the men. Don't ask me why. They just diminished the women. They diminished the children. It wasn't even like an added equal account. So there could have been, theologians would argue, about 10,000 to 15,000 people here. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Like that was a guy, like that was me. (laughs) As much as they wanted, right? He did the same with the fish. When they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. Can I just give a side note with God? There is nothing wasted. In your life and things that have happened in your life with the history, with the pedigree, like whatever it is going on, 
Nothing is wasted with God. He will turn, as the scripture would say, whatever the enemy intended for evil over your life and destruction and despair and brokenness, God will turn it because he leaves nothing wasted. It could just be the fertilizer to the soil to which God wants to do something in your life. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten them. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Another side note, Jesus could care less about the fame. He could care less about the eyes. He could care less about what others thought about him, the praises. He's like, I don't need none of that stuff because I get that from my father. So there's the context of two groups of people here. And this is just a different angle. I want to I want to show you, maybe you've heard, you know, and, and I'll preach that, that God is the God of the impossible, and he does some powerful stuff, and he can take these fish and these loaves, and he can make, multiply it into tens and thousands. That 100% is unquestioned in this passive scripture, but incredibly, like, illogical. It doesn't make sense, right? This is where we usually lose people that are, like, hyper-logical, and their, their, their analysis of God. Sam, that's not possible. God's not real. It's like, well, have you ever been around a miracle? You can't deny it. If you, have you ever witnessed something happen that was so spiritual it just did not make sense? And I'm sorry, if, if you want to go on a journey with God, you have to be prepared for, one, the unexplainable and the illogical. Does not make sense. Because God is a God not just of mystery, but of wonder. So there's two types of people here. There are the religious, and then there are the seekers, or those that are looking for an encounter. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says that there were so many people following Jesus because of the miracles that he had just got done performing. He was on the map. He had a lot of quote followers. He had a following. He had people that were so interested in him. He had people that were curious, people that were interested, people that were just like, what is this Jesus guy? I just got to watch. I just, I'm a seeker. I'm just, what's going on here? It's kind of entertaining. I mean, someone who has been laid paralyzed for 38 years walks up and this guy is carrying his mat everywhere saying, Jesus of Nazareth healed me. And then we can hear Jesus is going all the way to the sea. I'm going to follow him then. Could this be the prophet? Could this be the Messiah? And so there's seekers. There are those that are looking for an encounter. But then there's also in this passage of scripture, the religious. What do I mean by that? And I don't make a dig at it, but there are people that in the Jewish festival were on their way to Jerusalem. Well, if you've been to Jerusalem, then you'll understand that to get there, if you want to get there quicker, you have to go through Samaria. And the Jews did not go through Samaria. We learned about that in John chapter 4. So they took the long route, which was along the Sea of Galilee, which so happened to be this Jesus of Nazareth that was trying to get away from the crowds, and he looks at them in the book of Matthew, the writer says he looks at them with compassion because they're starving. They're so hungry, but they're so curious. 
And so he turns to his disciples. Remember, there's, there are people like a caravan of pilgrims. Because every so often in the festivals of the Jewish culture, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, would take a pilgrimage from wherever they lived across the, across the Eastern world. And they would travel all the way to their, like, quote, Mecca, right? And it was Jerusalem. It was the temple. This is where they worship God. This is where God forgave them of their sins. This is where the priests would walk into the Holy of Holies on account of their sin. And so they would go to give offering to God, to Yahweh, for all of the things that he's brought them through. So on one end, you have the religious route, the expected, even the mundane at times route, where it's like, it's just tradition, which don't get me wrong, I love tradition at times, as long as it doesn't get in the way of God. Do you know that sometimes tradition can get in the way of God because you're so focused on the tradition, you forget the one who has brought you through whatever it is that you're trying to worship? And this happens, I know this, because in the Old Testament, God says, I am done with your offerings, your tradition. Your heart is not in it. You do it just because you're told to do it. It's like there's two different types of children. There's the one that is super extroverted, and they let you know what's up. Like, they let you know when they're upset with you. But then you have the introverted one, and they just hold it all in. And they listen out of duty, but not out of desire. That's the danger, right? So sometimes when we become so in tradition with our duties and with the things that we should do when it requires faith, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I doing it because my parents told me to do it? Am I doing it just because it's the custom of my faith? Or am I doing it because I want to encounter the true and living God? There's nothing wrong with being faithful to the tradition but again, for many, it becomes duty, not desire. Then the second group of people, so remember, those are just those that are going on the way to Jerusalem. But how many of you know, if there is like 10,000 people, they're going to like, what's going on over here by the sea, by the water? But then there was the second crowd. Those were that were following Jesus because they wanted more of an encounter. They wanted to see what was going to happen when they got close to Jesus. They were curious. Those that were on their way to the Jewish festival were on their way, but instead they witnessed and they encountered God, the miraculous, the wonder. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread? Philip, he asked, this is only to test him, for he already had in mind what was going to happen. You see, Jesus, this is very interesting to me. Jesus already knew the mindset of Philip. He already knew. I mean, if you hang out with people long enough, you'll be able to get the answer you want based off the question that you ask because you know how they think. So if there's five of us and there's a really impossible task at hand and I know that Johnny doesn't have a lot of faith, I'm like, hey, Johnny, do you think we could do this? No, because of this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, yeah, I figured I'd get that answer from you. <laughs> this is what Jesus is doing with Philip. But I would say he does this because he wants him to get out what is inside so he can change his perspective. He can change his mindset. He can change what was logical to the illogical. It doesn't make sense with God at times because he is the God of miracles. 
At the sight of the crowd, Jesus' sympathy then was kindled. They were hungry. They were tired. They must be fed. Philip was the natural man to whom to turn, for he came from Bethsaida, and we know that in John chapter 1, and would have local knowledge that Jesus asked him, where could food be got? Where could we find the food? Philip's answer was sort of depressing, right? It was despairing. It was, it was, it was actually logical. Could we agree to that? It was like, this makes sense. Uh, Jesus, there's like 10,000 people here. There's no way we can feed this many people. There's no fish and chip shop, right? There's no shop around here that can build as many, you know, have enough workers, have all that. It's just not possible. He said that even if food could be got, it would cost more than 200 denarii to give this vast crowd even a little. A denarius was the standards day wage for a working man. One denarii was one day's work. Philip calculated it would take more than six months wages to begin to feed the crowd like this. But then Andrew appeared on the scene. I like Andrew. If you get anything from this talk, I would hope that you would have a mindset or push yourself to have a mindset like Andrew. Andrew then responds and says, he appears on the scene and he discovered a young boy with five barley loaves and two little fish. Quite likely, the boy had brought them as like a picnic lunch. He was just wanting to have a picnic by the Sea of Galilee, right? He's just minding his own business. He's like, and, and which, by the way, the fish were like sardines, which to my, I don't eat fish like that. They're like little, they're like the size of a pickle. Yes, that I, I was looking up. They're like the size of a pickle. So imagine th this many pickled fish, like this big, right? And the bread. And the boy's like, yeah, um, I can give you my food. And, and imagine Andrew's tenacity. Could you imagine running throughout the crowd trying to figure out what to do? All right. Uh, Philip is just like horrible faith. So I'm going to try to figure this out. And what can we do to try to fix this? Because I've seen Jesus and what he does. And I think he could do something. But I need to participate with him. You see, I think in faith, in our walk with God, we try to just give it all to God and have nothing to do with it. I would say, where do we learn from that? How do we grow? How does God change the words that come out of our mouth like, an, like a Philip to change what we think and what we perceive unless we actually do something and partner with God? And you can do your own biblical due diligence. Every man and woman of faith partnered with God. They didn't just sit back and do nothing and say, oh, it's illogical. It's not going to make sense. No, they moved their body into action like Andrew did. And per usual, Andrew brought somebody to Jesus. What do I mean by that? John chapter 1 verse 41 says this. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought Simon to Jesus. Andrew already, already had this mindset. Oh, if I could just bring people to Jesus, Jesus will just kind of show up. In fact, that is actually the call of every disciple in this room if you consider yourself an apprentice of Jesus. If you consider yourself a follower, a disciple, one that wants to be a little Christ, your job outside of everything else is to bring others to Jesus. And I would say, Jesus will then show up and show off in your life. All you've got to do 
is the parable of like the you just throw the seed. You throw the seed. And, and, and this is what Andrew was teaching us. He was teaching us to go and to throw the seed, to go and to find someone and to just bring somebody to Jesus, not realizing that this little boy's picnic lunch would create a miracle. Of course, this story would have been impossible if it wasn't Jesus a part of it. But notice that Andrew partnered with Jesus and said, I'll do what I can do and I'll leave the rest for you, Jesus. Because you're God. You see, there I would say two different types of mindsets of disciples. One is the situation is helpless. Maybe you in the room have said something like that. I know I have. This is just helpless. This is just not going to work. There is no way that we can make this happen. And so that's one mindset of a disciple. The situation, not going to work. But then there's another disciple that says, I'll see what I can do, and the rest is on God. I'll do my part, and I'll give the rest to God. And there's this quote. I, I have no idea who founded it, but it's a quote that I live by. And I've told many of you this. And it's, pray as if it depends on God, but work as if it depends on you. This is like the best example of what that quote encapsulates. I am going to work my butt off. I'm going to do everything that I can in my power, in my will, in my strategy, in my mindset, with who I am, with how God created me. But at the end of the day, I'm going to pray and get on my knees as if it depends on God. And when you partner those two, that's when miracles happen. I mean, it's right here. It's in the, it's in the text. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. And I would say there's two types of people in the crowd as well. The ones that are on route to religious things, not realizing Jesus was, quote, in the room. Or was he was there. He was the very presence that they were searching for. The very one. They were missing God on their way to their religious duty. Can you imagine that? Like, the, 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 the one, I think it's amazing that they would travel that far. And their duty and their, you know, even some of them had desire. We're going to go to the Holy Land. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to go to Zion. A lot of the Psalms talks about the track towards Zion, racing towards, the climb towards Zion because Jerusalem was at the highest part of the mountain in the city. And so they go. As they're going, God is there, right there. They miss him. And he's performing in the mundane. He's performing with the regular. He's performing, I would even say, if we go a little bit deeper into the context, with the poor. Because it was the poor, when these pilgrims would go, what they would do when they would have their festivals, they would eat, and the custom was whatever they didn't want, like the crust, if you eat a pizza and you're like, I don't want the crust, you would throw it on the floor and the poor would come and eat it. The poor would get the leftovers. The poor would get the nothing. And so Jesus had so much compassion on these people. One, because they were curious about him. And two, because they were starving. Like, I love that about God. He cares about the little things. He cares about the small things that you might not think is significant. To him, they are incredibly significant because it's, the, it's a part of our human nature. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry, by the way. It's like, oh, these people need to eat. <laughs> they are so hungry. So how do we do this? And you know the thing is, 
we all could agree Jesus would have performed the miracle by himself, right? Of course. No, but he wanted to partner with his disciples. He wanted to equip them. He wanted them to see. He wanted them to feel. He wanted their fixed mindset to become open to the possibility of whatever God can do in their life. I want to read you Matthew's account because this is John's account. Matthew was the other disciple in John 14, verse 16 to 21, and there's a slight shift in the passage and the literature. It says in verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away because they were saying, Jesus, tell, the, tell them to go. We're like starving. We're hungry. Can you t- please tell them to leave? Like they're bugging us. You give them something to eat, Jesus replied. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass, taking the five loaves of the two fish and the two fish and looking up to heaven. This is Jesus. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then, watch this, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. It didn't say that in John. It just says Jesus distributed them. They distributed. And Matthew wants to point out this. And it jumped out to me in scripture. I'm like, oh, I love this so much. Because it's the proof that God wants to partner with you. God doesn't want to just do it and you not learn and you not grow and you not understand. It's like a, a good parent or a good mom and dad wants to teach their children not just the concept but to actually feel what it feels like to do it. I don't want you to just do this out of duty. I want you to do this because you understand that there's something powerful that happens when you're kind to someone. That there's something powerful that happens when you give instead of expect to receive. There's something powerful that happens when everyone is saying something nasty and mean about that little boy and you step up and say, no, there's something good about him. Like, so we can teach that person all day until it gets inside of them. That's when you know, oh, they got it. Oh, they got it. Lenya got it. Zoe got it. My child got it. Because you taught it, but now they're actually doing it. And so this is the thing about Jesus. He can teach you all day, friend, until you actually do something. You can say you get it. I know people that know the Bible better than anyone in the world, and they still don't get it. I know people that can read the scriptures and memorize the scriptures and have a bunch of different scriptures memorized, and they don't get it because they don't do it. So what good is it to have it inside of you if you don't do anything with it? And this is the thing, the difference between a Philip to an Andrew. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like Philip. I don't want to be... The naysayer, I talked about this. I don't want to be like the Eeyore in the room. No, Jesus, uh, just tell him to leave. No, I want to be like, oh, what can I do in my power? All I got to do is bring someone to Jesus and he'll do the rest. I wonder who in your life you can bring to Jesus so that you can see God perform a miracle in their life. Have you ever witnessed that? I know I have. It is one of the most, it's an eternal feeling. I don't even know how to explain it other than it just feels like eternity. Where you have someone that is even on the traditional route. I can't tell you, this is my story as well. The the mundane, the the religiosity, the, the, the tradition 
And there's beauty in that, but, but not when it just is duty. And I just remember growing up just doing it because I was told to do it, right? And, and it wasn't until someone said something to me, spoke something to me. It wasn't until I could understand, oh, it's not all a God of judgment. It's a God of love. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. And I was just birthed around this environment of judge, 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 judge. Well, Brother Sam, show me where it says that in the Bible. Or let me show you how you're wrong in the Bible. And then come to find out they didn't even care about doing it themselves. You know why I know that? Because I was that guy. That was me. I would, like... (laughs) tell people all the time how wrong they were. Hey, man, I can't believe you're going to that party and then you go to church on Sunday. What's wrong with you? I would call people out on their stuff because they claimed to know Jesus and to care about God, but they lived another lifestyle. And then I myself was doing the same thing. And I realized, oh, the way of Jesus isn't judgment. The way of Jesus is love. Now, don't mishear me. Jesus says in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. But then keep reading. He also comes as a judge to come against darkness. So let the dark within you be exposed into the light so God can do something. If you choose to live in that darkness, the judgment will not come from God. It will come from you. You'll do it to yourself. But that's why God sent his only son to break the darkness in our life and to powerfully bring light into us. So notice what happened different here is that he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then the disciples performed the miracle. Could you imagine being a disciple and just being like, oh, here you go, here you go. And it's just like, where is this like coming from? That's the illogical part. Have you thought about that? Like, oh, come on, man. That's, like, too good to be true. That's why even when I was studying this, there was actually theologians that tried to say other reasons why this could have been. You want to know one of them? It kind of makes sense. But I'll just tell you, and you can wrestle it out with God yourself. But I, you need to know it because I've learned enough to where you can give an argument, but you need to have the co-argument. You need to have the other opposite side. You know what I'm talking about? So there's theologians that say this. Well, the men and women that were on the pilgrimage, they saw what was happening, and they actually had food for themselves. They were going, and it could have been that they were so drawn to the compassion of Jesus that they, it wasn't a miracle of fish and bread, it was a miracle of men and women. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so beautiful and poetic, but that, I would just say, is a lie. I, I would say, no, 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 it is the miracle of Jesus. That he actually draws us as men and women to believe in the impossible. To witness something that does not make sense and say, no, God can do it. I want to believe and live that type of life to where I will risk everything because I believe that God is the God of the impossible. I want to be the first in line to say, man, I'm, I'm the Andrew. I'll do it, Jesus. I'll do it. Even if you don't, I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that says, you know what? I'm going to be put into this fiery furnace because I chose not to bow 
to Pharaoh. I chose not to bow to this king. I chose not to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. And I will stand my ground because I only bow to one king, and his name is Jesus. And you know what happens in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that story? They say, even if God doesn't deliver us. It's like, whew. Can you say that about yourself? That he's that good that even if he doesn't come through, I'm going to be all right. Even if this doesn't happen, it is fertilizer because God wastes nothing. It could be that he wants you to fail. Have you ever thought about that? What good is it to have God when you never fail? When you never fall, when you never make mistakes. That's like a fairy tale, man. That doesn't even make sense. It's not life. No, I need God when I, when I miss it. I need God when I fail. I need God when I put all of my eggs in one basket and believe that God's going to do it, and then it doesn't work, and then I resurface, and I see, okay, God, what are you trying to do in the story? What are you trying to teach me? Because it's that character you're trying to produce. So whatever you want to do, I don't care if I fail a hundred times, I know that one of that, the hundred, you'll come through. Because you're the God of the impossible, and it just quite could be that you know better than me. So all of those 99 attempts were not even in your will. But there's that one that can, God will say, oh, I'll come through with this one. Because this is my will for your life. But you, you have to be okay with that. Even if I don't get this job, even if I don't get this answer, can you still say, God, you're good. I love you. I will choose to walk with you. I will choose to go on a journey with you. Imagine what possibilities could happen through you because you understand that Jesus is the God of more than enough. Could you just let your mind go there for a moment? What are you afraid of doing? And oftentimes, it's coupled with rejection. The reason you're not doing it is because you're a, you have a fear of rejection. The reason you're not stepping forward is because you're afraid you're going to fail. The reason you're not doing whatever God's told you to do is because you think if it doesn't work, what will everyone think of me? Who cares what everyone says? You should listen to one voice, and it's the voice of God. What is God telling you to do in your family, with how you use your finances, with how you speak to your children? with how you work as a boss or a CEO, a manager or a lead or a leader? What is God speaking you to step out into and to believe that he is the God of more than enough? And you know what that is, by the way. And usually there's small little steps towards all that God has in store for you. But please, in that journey, don't forget don't forget, who can I bring along the journey to Jesus? Because he'll do something great and power. You know, Jesus is all about people. He cares so much more about you than what you can do in the world. Because he knows if he can get to you, he can change the world through you. So he's not so concerned about what's going on out there. He's concerned about what's going on in here. 
So what is it that Jesus needs to shift and to transform and to change? What mindset do you need to change your from, right? Like, oh, God's not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Or no, 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 no. I believe God can do it. And even if he doesn't, he's good. And, you know, there's this, this one saying from this song, a song that we sang today, and it's, you never left me without hope. You always leave me with more than enough. You know that God will never leave you without hope? He is the God of hope. He is the God of more. And so the more you can lean into that love and that goodness and that kindness and that power, the more you can experience all that God has for you. So I want to challenge you to stop thinking God's not going to do something in your life. I want to challenge you to not be like Philip and say it's not Oh, it's just not possible. What if you changed your mindset and said, no, 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 I'm going to do whatever I can in my power, and I will leave the rest up to God. I will work as if it depends on me, but I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to seek the presence of God as if it depends on him. That's my prayer for you this morning. So that you can then experience the miraculous, the signs and wonders of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you, God, this morning. We just say thank you that you are a God of more than enough. I pray, Lord, that for those that are just getting hungry and they think as though they might need to take somebody else's leftovers, I pray that we would then just look to you and say you're the one that sustains us. You're the one that fills us up. You're the one that can bring us life and joy and hope. You are the one that builds up our faith. I pray, God, that this moment,